Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Uh, joining us today are Martin Toff Madsen and Magnus Ditlow, uh, who kind of came across my radar from a couple of different sources. Um, Martin was talked about by uh, Dan Bigham when he was on our show, uh, talking about uh, aerodynamic testing and specifically testing on the track. Uh, he mentioned, of course, that Martin holds the, I believe, the Danish hour record. Yeah. Um, and Magnus, uh, he came on my screen uh, during uh, the PTO championship in, in Daytona. And uh, uh, if you listeners will recall the, the bike coverage for the men's race, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a guy who I had no idea who he was, who all of a sudden <laughs> made up a lot of, a lot of spots on the, uh, on the bike. He passed a lot of very, very strong cyclists and uh, ended up with the, uh, the fastest bike time on the day which is saying something considering the firepower that was uh, that was in that race. And, you know, whenever I see that, I, I immediately, you know, want to know, you know, how, how that got done and, uh, and uh, you know, what, what's, uh, what's the special sauce there. So I, uh, I, I reached out, um, you know, through, through our contacts and uh, I'm fortunate that uh, Magnus and uh, Martin were able to join us today. Gents, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks a lot for having us. It's an honor. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, let's start with uh, the a little bit of the history and the sport. Uh, where you know how you came to cycling, and then also what's your what's your current passion. So um, why don't we start with uh, Martin? Uh, yeah, I started actually cycling in kind of a late uh, late age. You can say for cyclists, like I was like fourth year maybe university something like that so it's probably 23 years old or something when i started cycling and i was yeah studying engineering so i was like quickly drawn all into all of these uh these equipment uh, optimizations you can do and position optimization and been kind of working uh working around that more or less ever since and yeah going going further with that uh, and yeah at the same time uh, of course, yeah, competing in in both road races and TTs, but TTs is my yeah my 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 biggest passion, so to speak. Um, what what kind I, of engineer are you, Martin? You're in good company because Andrew and I are also <laughs> both engineers. Uh, yeah, it's from uh, I'm in uh, Technical University of Denmark, and it's called Physics and Nanotechnology. Uh, the Whoa. the what you call the direction. Uh, yeah, um, so that's the name. It's it's yeah it's mostly physics related, kind of mecha mechanics and physics, uh, and then some yeah some nanotechnology thrown in for uh, to be modern I guess. <laughs> well, Michael, I think he's got us beat there. Unfortunately, we're just uh, plain old mechanical, nothing too exciting. <laughs> yeah, your okay, your your cool. your stream sounds much more interesting, Martin, for sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So you started cycling in university, and then uh, where did it take you? Obviously, you you know you've got you've earned some accolades. Uh, how did you get from there to here? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I just started in the lowest ranking in uh, in Denmark. Uh, that was like I was it was called beginner, but I think it was kind of uh, it's not it's it's not just beginners, but it's the fourth you know fourth is fourth highest category, which is like you know category D maybe you have cat D maybe or cat four I guess it's called. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in the US. So basically, I started there and then just worked my way up. And you know, you earn your points and you go up. And I earned most of them in TT. <laughs> uh, and then when I got up in Cat One, I got on a team, uh, a small team. And then that team got, I would think that was in 2011 or so. Uh, okay. And then in like 2014, 15 ish maybe 16, around that, like six, seven years ago, something like that. Uh, that team became a continental team. Uh, and I've been, yeah, more or less writing. <laughs> I've been writing that uh, every year since. So now the last, yeah, six years or so, it's been a continental team. So we've been competing in two of Denmark, for instance, is, uh, is, the, is the biggest race in Denmark. And uh, I've been been doing uh, TT, uh, European Champs TT and Worlds uh, for like, three times, four times each, something like that. Uh, in from around 16 to, yeah, I guess until 2019. Okay. And last year was kind of like Denmark didn't do Euros because Nationals was rescheduled and stuff like that. And so everything was kind of, yeah, last year was not normal. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but later on until 2019, I was doing Worlds and Euros also. So... Yeah, my best result was 10th at Worlds in 2018. Nice. Uh, and then I and this is all in TT, right? This is all in TT, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I have some, I've won a single UCI race on the road, you know, road race, but else, yeah, most is on, on the TT bike. That's, that's where I'm best and what I like the most. Uh, and I also started on the track. We have a track here near Copenhagen in, in Ballerup. Um, and I started doing a little bit of that in, 15 i think okay. i was invited in and some said shouldn't you ride the track and so it was just around just around the time when uh, uci made it legal again to ride tt bikes uh, for the hour record uh, because they had like almost 10 years i think where it was only legal to do it you know the merc style oh. really old school road bike and then sort of the hour record sort of nobody had big interest in it, in it anymore because yeah it was very hard to beat the the current record and it was you know very old school so you had to kind of do a lot of optimization around a problem that is specifically for that discipline so i couldn't really use (laughs) that for the so you know all of the pros and so didn't really have much incentive to work on that but then suddenly in i think it was in late 14 early 15 something like that the uci made it legal to ride uh bikes basically um with aero bars on them and and again there was a lot of of course interest because then it was suddenly much easier to beat the record <laughs> <laughs> that was then set at on a you know standard road bike um so that's also where it got my interest of course to the danish hour record so i started working on the track in in 15 and did uh, and then did the danish hour record and then i started also working with the uh, the danish cycling federation uh just a couple of months before uh, Olympics in 16 in Rio. Okay. Uh, so, so I, we had like three months. So I, I got, I got a little bit of optimization there <laughs> before Rio, but you know, you can't do a lot of things in three months, you know, but we, sure. we, we got a little, little bit of optimizations and, and things done before that. And then I've been working with them ever since, uh, along with uh, another guy that stopped his active career. Kasper Folsak and then Dan Bickham also joined us around two years ago, I think, one and a half years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, we're, yeah, we've been working for the last couple of years targeting uh, 
Tokyo. There's now 21, of course. Right. right. Um, so I've been kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm doing track, you know, testing training for myself for some hour records and also for the Danish Federation and now also for triathletes. And uh, I'm also doing outside on the road for myself. And I guess the plan is now also to try and do that for others to sort of get both track and, you know, real world or <laughs> what <do> they <laughs> call it. Uh, get everything, you know, get get all the way around. But that's sort of my my story. I've I've got to say, from a personal standpoint, it's super interesting how the UCI rules and what they choose to restrict in in different events, how that has such an impact on the interest, the overall interest from the different athletes in competing in those events, um, just because they can they can basically throttle up or throttle down the interest by how difficult or how easy they make it to be or to to beat the record. Uh, and you never want it to be easy to break a record, but you don't want it to be impossible either, or else no one's going to have any interest in it. Yeah, exact, exactly. <laughs> so they kind of have to. It's the same. Yeah, it's. I guess it's the same also with the road. They kind of when 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 things have stalled equipment wise, they sort of loosen up a little bit, so there can be a little more progression. So they want you know like you probably have this in other sports and in in other areas in general in the world, but you want to have some some kind of a little bit of progression all the time, right? <laughs> sure. Stuff interesting. <laughs> of course. Um, so Magnus, what about you? What's your history? Uh, obviously you're a triathlete. How did you get from, uh, you know, from not being a triathlete to, uh, to Daytona? <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say I was a former competitive swimmer, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's not the case. Unfortunately, as you said in the introduction, I had to make up, uh, uh, quite a big gap <laughs> after the <laughs> swim in Day Daytona. So, uh, but I actually started like also quite late, uh, as uh, Martin Tuft said uh, he did. But it was more like uh, at first I just played a lot of football and badminton, and then uh, in a period between what you call high school and college, many mm -hmm. of the friend my friends uh, from the teams uh, I was in, they quit. So all uh like my friends and stuff they were suddenly gone so i had no no teams anymore so i started like what what am i gonna, gonna do now and <laughs> i've already always ha had a lot of energy uh, and then i came to a kind of college class with some elite runners and then uh, they said like hey you should because i i had started running a bit myself and then they said you should try and join uh, our club and go for some run training with us and then i started running with them i had always been biking a little bit with my father uh, when we were on holidays uh, in italy and spain and stuff but mm -hmm. it was more like for fun and for the exploring the nature and stuff uh, but then i started running with the athletic club and uh, also because i had been biking a little bit before I suddenly got the idea that I wanted to do a half Ironman. I don't know quite how it came to me, but <laughs> uh, so I had to to get better at swimming because I was not really good. Uh, and then I did that first half Ironman, and that was completely terrible. I like walked the the whole half marathon, and during the the run leg, I told myself I would never do it again. <laughs> but somehow, <laughs> one week later, I had <laughs> signed up for the next one. So, and that's like how it took off. And I was not because I didn't have the swim ability. I've never been like through a federational program or anything. It has always been like me 
just signing up for some age group racing and uh, not like through the federation or the sprint distance. Uh, and then I started, uh, at first I was coaching myself and that didn't go. Uh, I stalled quite quickly actually. I uh, I think I ended up training way too much uh, mm-hmm. in a way too young age. Uh, so I got a coach uh, from KTK 86, which is the club I'm also in right now. Uh, and that has really, that really took off uh took my level to uh, that took my uh it took me to a whole new level very quickly uh and then i had i think it was 2018 or something i was supposed to do my first pro race uh, at challenge mallorca okay but i had uh that's uh, i had a really serious accident on my bike just one week uh, before that race where I broke my collarbone and shoulder blade uh, and arm so I couldn't uh, do that and the rehab uh, for that uh, for my collarbone especially was quite long Uh, I think it took me half a year where I couldn't swim at all so and then uh, after actually the doctors they told me I wouldn't be able to even raise my arm uh, above my head so I was. <laughs> I, it took quite some time to get back to swimming again. And when I just uh, started swimming again, I actually my the swimming came quite fast uh, back huh. to the level I had before. And then on some, one day on a training camp uh, in Mallorca, in I think it was nineteen, uh, I crashed again. <laughs> and oh, Mary no. had just signed me up for an, my, what should have been my first uh, pro race. Uh, so my pro appearance had been like. Uh, delayed for quite some time and i also think that's why people uh, don't know who i am because i have actually during the injuries i've had uh, because of the crashes i've I've actually been able to for instance ride my bike uh, a lot when i broke my collarbone i sat on the home trainer for i think it was 130 days in a row uh, (laughs) where i I couldn't uh, swim so i just told myself you have to be uh, a monster on the bike when you come back <laughs> uh, so i've already so during the, the the setbacks i've been able to train quite well actually so uh, when i first like <laughs> got back from the injuries and started competing again we knew uh, that i, I had an, uh, a level that was quite all right uh, so but it, it has just been delayed quite some time Wow, that's quite the story, and that's uh, that's one of the things I love about triathlon is because you know you've got at least three modalities if you don't add you know some kind of cross training to it, and so if you if an injury takes you out of one or maybe even two, you can do you can do the other. Yeah, and you can become... <laughs> that's the beauty. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, it's you know we have we're living through a somewhat similar scenario now with. Uh, in Canada, most places in Canada, pools are closed, right? So, we, you yeah. know, I haven't I haven't gotten wet in since I don't know, probably like last summer when that when I, the lakes were warm enough. Showering. Yes, yes, it's it's a uh, it's a term that I stole from uh, from uh, Tower Twenty Six, uh, getting wet. You know, just going getting in the water. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's you know, but you can that gives you a little bit more time to, to ride and run. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, but yeah. it is three times the opportunity to injure yourself, though, too. Each, <laughs> this yeah. is a very negative way to look at it, but uh, there, there yeah. are a lot of injuries that are specific to each of the individual sports. So uh, it does it presents challenges, but also opportunities. I think. 
Totally. Mm, totally. So how did you guys uh, start working together? You gave us off the air a little bit of a history. Um, Martin, why don't you take us through this, uh, through the genesis of your work with Magnus and uh, uh, how that came about? Yeah, uh, my team um, has a deal with uh, this guy called Michael Smith Larsen, who's, who has a yeah, coaching uh, coaching shop and fit shop. And uh, he's been uh, then working with uh, guys from uh, my my cycling team and also with uh, Magnus's tri team. Okay. And then um, yeah, the tri team was looking for their pro athletes, I guess, for some you know aerodynamic testing. They were trying to optimize people on the bike because they can see that, of course, uh, more or less all of the serious. Uh, the serious cyclists in the triathlon now are doing this to try and get get ahead on the bike, uh, and then he more or less just directed them to me. He asked me if if that could be something for me because he knew that I already worked with, of course, both optimizing myself and also the some of the guys from the Danish Federation. So he thought that could be a good fit, and uh, I said, yeah, that could be very interesting actually to to try and see if we could get some uh, some fast. Fast Danish triathletes, even uh, even faster, uh, and then yeah, and that's basically how that came about. Uh, from my perspective, I've, I'm actually also uh, an engineer. Uh, I've only I only have a bachelor, but that's in chemical engineering. But I remember like uh, when I first started uh, going into aerodynamics on the bike, I visited uh, Michael uh, in his bike shop, uh, fit shop, where we looked at. Uh, we only he had a camera in front of me uh, filming me on the bike and then uh, he had a program that could calculate the frontal area of mm-hmm. my position and from that we tried to like make the frontal area uh, smaller and smaller by changing like going lower or, and stuff like that uh, but that's that was like the first uh, thing we did for aero optimization and that was like three years ago i think then one year ago, uh, we I visited Michael again, where we took it uh, to a new level by doing uh, uh, a 3D scan of my position on the bike, and he sent it to uh, a company in Canada uh, that could uh, model uh, <laughs> with computational fluid dynamics and uh, see what different uh, changes to the position could do for my aerodynamics. What but company was that? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I think it's called Stack. <laughs> yep. So before we had ever spoken, uh, yeah, I was on the other end of that analysis, which is kind of a cool, <laughs> cool coincidence. Yeah, and then of course we wanted to explore even more, <laughs> and then we he reached out to Martin, and uh, yeah, that's how. From my perspective, I got in contact with Martin. Hmm. So what I really, what I like about the story is that is the the kind of the iterative process, and we're not even getting to the the real iterative process, I don't think. <laughs> no. But the the evolution of of what we used to do as you know triathletes who didn't have access to a, a wind tunnel, you know, if, unless you were a pro or were very very wealthy, you know, ten years ago, let's say, you really didn't have. Too many options in order in in terms of um, aerodynamic optimization, uh, other than you know what we call the slow twitch wind tunnel. You know where you take a, a, a photo of yourself from the side and you post it on slow twitch and you say, "Is this faster or is this faster?" And then you have all these pundits that you know 
don't know anything most of the time <laughs> telling you what's faster. Exactly. Yeah. So it's amazing how, you know, you've got, you've gone from that to, you know, these, these frontal view cameras and Andrew, you can fill me in on the history of these, but they've been around for a, for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think the initial history for that, uh, and this is speaking to Phil White from Cervelo, but uh, they used to cut out pictures. Uh, so <laughs> you take a picture from, uh, from the front, you'd cut out the the area of the picture that was you, and then you'd weigh it. <laughs> so <laughs> you'd see how much area you removed. Uh, uh, wow. So it's it's come a long way. In the frontal area, there's uh, like it's a dynamic measurement. So the nice thing about that measurement is that it gives you instantaneous feedback. As soon as you mm, change, exactly. you can see how mm. much of a change it made in your frontal area. Um, so that system, I think BioRacer Arrow is the the common company that uh, supplies that, and it's quite popular. Uh, and it's it's fantastic for for getting that frontal area immediately. But it does have some limitations because you can have the same frontal area, but uh, depending on how streamlined your body is, you can have significantly different drag numbers. Right. And then, and then, of course, you go to you know CFD, which is what Andrew pioneered with Stack, and is now part of Four Eyes, the virtual wind tunnel. And then, where where we're going to go to next is uh, is once you st- once you guys start working together, uh, what sort of stuff you're doing? And I'll, I'll I'll give you an easy out here. If there's anything that you don't <laughs> want to talk about, <laughs> you tell us. You know, that's none of your business. That's you know. Top Madsen secret sauce, and it's uh, you know you you have to pay him for uh, for a consultation to get that information. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Martin, why didn't you jump in and then and tell us what your process looks like there? Yeah, actually, some, what from from my time perspective, it's quite recently. I would say that I've been begin uh, I've begun working with Macros. It was like November, right? So we've been on it for three four months, something like that. So, so far he's been in for two track tests, one before Daytona and then uh, one for like three weeks ago, something like that. Hmm. Um, But the idea is to try to keep work on it. So uh, that's, of course, something you want to know up front, like, is this a one-time thing? So should we just get (laughs) as much juice out of these hours now or (laughs) should we, is it it kind of a process? So we kind of do things, you know, uh, thoroughly whenever we set things up, right? So basically now we've been working on uh, primarily uh, the position, of course, try to figure out what, what sort of position is the fastest uh, for Magnus, because that's usually the biggest fa- uh, factor, uh, mm-hmm. along with helmets and suits. So kind of get that stuff nailed down as much as possible. Uh, and actually that's most of the, the stuff we've been working on with tested a little bit of different uh, equipment optimizations but actually uh, we haven't tested much of that i've given him some tips so we use something in daytona uh, mm-hmm. that i can share but uh, <laughs> that i that i that i knew was faster so I, so I, so without us actually testing it out on the track i just said him uh, do this use that uh, for daytona because i know it's faster so we don't have to test this um, huh, seems like it worked <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it worked, yes. Uh, so everything was good on that end. So uh, I was, I was also happy afterwards that uh, <laughs> that uh, that it worked. But that's kind of we we're probably pretty good uh, now with the position. We I think we have some uh, some 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 things we can still try, but we're maybe two thirds through all the position uh, optimization. Um, and that's really the, the, the big thing uh, and also something that, yeah, you obviously has to test out in competition 
if you change something, does it does it work? Can he can he make a full Ironman in that position? And uh, mm-hmm. can he eat and can he drink uh, and uh, can he still steer the bike and crosswinds that sort of, of stuff? So it's like it's always a little bit of a moving target. Uh, sure. But but that's that's actually the the meat of what we've done so far. And um, at least from my perspective, the next thing would be to once validate what we found on the track outside uh, and also do more specific equipment testing uh, once we have the position dialed in to see, okay, where could it make good sense to place, you know, the water bottles, uh, which suits maybe best for this position, helmet, so on. So kind of nail that down and also validate it first in outside field testing because I feel that's important. Sometimes you can have some some differences between the track and out, uh, outside uh, and of course uh, in in racing see that it actually works and he, he goes fast in racing but so far so good <laughs> i can tell that you've got an engineering background the way you described that because you mentioned <laughs> validation a number of times and i think that is so key for a lot of people uh and they they just lose out on the validation so people fall into the trap of buying new wheels, for example, or new helmet, because they have a friend who said it was faster or because the company says it was faster. But what you've done is proven that it's actually faster. And that's something you can take to the race and literally take take to the bank. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that's uh, one of the beauties that it's so individual. So, uh, so many people like have asked me what I, I found out, uh, <laughs> what was the results were after all my testing. And I uh, I, I mean, one helmet that's fast on me might not be faster on them. So I just tell them, that, yeah, exactly. I can tell you what 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 I found out, but it won't be faster. It won't necessarily won't be faster on you. Yeah, it'll only work if they're also optimizing Magnus. Yeah, exactly. So you guys talked about uh, obviously, you know, your process from from well, not quite cutting out shapes of yourself, but looking at frontal areas to track testing. But you also then mentioned uh, field testing outdoors, which is of course, you know, for us triathletes or outdoor time trialists, that's where that's where the uh, you know the money is made, or for most of us, that's where you know we get our bragging rights with, against our friends. Um, but what uh, what sort of methods do you use? there when you actually head outside what are you looking at there are you are, are you using aerodynamic sensors or are you looking just at straight and power and speed i've been i've been sort of through it all so to speak because i think this is this is maybe one of those places where i feel at least i have more experience than most others because actually i started outside you know like i started probably field testing nine years ago or something like that with just the power meter and speed you know and just going out and i remember like just went out the first time was in February or something like 2012. Just <laughs> went out, you know, just the same position, same setup, just going back and forth and see what what kind of results can I get. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I use kind of both just power and speed. And that actually, that alone can actually give quite a good indication. Hmm. Uh, but I also have a note show that I use uh, quite a bit. Um which is obviously quite nice because you can also get the get the airspeed. I'm working a little yes. bit like I know Bigham is with the with Nocho. So I think I think they still have a lot of optimization they can do in the software. So usually kind of just take take the the readings from that and some of their software and then apply my own factors of stuff I think they can do better. Um, so I kind of have my own spreadsheet to kind of kind of do some things where you can 
where you can get even better results uh, if you know you're going, for instance, on a uh, on a on a set set uh, set lap or set uh, stretch of road, and you have done that a lot of times, then you actually know a lot about that specific area that you don't get with just an automatic calculation. So kind of get that into my spreadsheet, and then you can actually get quite good results. Not quite as good on the, on the, as on the track, but you know, plus minus two watts or something like that, which in most oh, wow. cases would be would be more than enough, right? For for figuring, you know, at least the larger stuff out. Um, but I think the 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 biggest thing is, yeah, as as I mentioned before, it was to to kind of validate this because as I've tested like the last four or five years on a lot on the track and outside, I can see that not all things just blindly correlate. You know, I can find five watts on the track and then go go out. And, you know, this is the rare occasion, but sometimes it's actually slow outside. <laughs> hmm. um, oh, interesting. So it's not just, you know, you can't just blindly say, this is faster uh, on the track, so it must be faster outside. Uh, right. And, of course, the, the, the million-dollar question is why, and it's not always that easy. Of course, you can have a lot of ideas of on why that is, uh, but it's at least you, you need to keep an eye on that, that, just because you found something in in one test on the track doesn't mean it that uh, it it works uh, in in Kona half a year later. You kind of have to test it in the, the same conditions, uh, yeah. or at least as close to the same conditions uh, as you have over there. So if we test something, if it should be here, we have for instance a closed airport uh, that's pretty open, so you have a lot of wind. So that would be a place where I would probably test stuff if I wanted to go to Kona. Huh. and bring wheels, helmet, suit, whatever, um, and then test it out there. So it's good to test on the track, get an idea of what might work, get it out there and see maybe not just only the fastest suit from the track, but maybe take the two or three fastest and test which is actually fastest outside in these conditions. And that's a great point you brought up as well about testing different conditions because a lot of the optimization is based on zero yaw, so still wins, uh, which is the you know, the optimum condition. Everyone wants a, a day to go and do a time trial when there's no wind. But the reality is you're often going to have crosswinds or headwinds. And especially in a place like Kona, where you've got a ton of crosswinds to deal with, uh, not only is there stability issues to worry about with wheels, for example, but there's also a big change in what can be fast and what can be slow. Um, certain helmets I know work very well at zero yaw conditions and start to uh, have reduced performance compared to other helmets when it gets to higher yaw. So you really have to pick your equipment for your course. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually, especially helmets is one thing that I've mentioned to Magnus several times that I have some helmets where I know this this one or two helmets maybe test really fast on the track on you know almost all riders. But each time I've taken them outside, they're never number one. <laughs> and then I have a couple <laughs> of other helmets where these test pretty good on the track, but they're, they're rarely the fastest, but they close. And then when you take them outside, they are always number one or two. Uh, so huh. you kind of have these helmets that are either by chance or by design. They are, they are, yeah, they're just meant for different conditions, right? So you have, you have, yeah, you have a lot of stuff that goes on. You have this yaw, of course, and then. I think you also just have a little more turbulence intensity. You know, there's more energy in the air on a windy day outside than there is on the track. On the track, the air is still, right? Huh. So you can have all of these trips and all of these, 
stuff you can do with rough rough surfaces and trips and stuff uh, can have much more effect on the track where you can sort of you can more better manipulate the flow than outside where you have again you have yours so maybe the trips should be placed differently and maybe the trips doesn't they do don't they they don't work quite as well because the air is already some some a bit turbulent so you have huh. either either they don't work as well or they simply don't work at all just add drag um so yeah so you just have it's 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 just hard because uh, it's not always that easy and i don't always have the answers for everything because then i say this and then people ask me but then what is fastest and i'll just say we have well we have to test i have some series <laughs> and and you know i have a lot of testing but you don't always know and so in the end of the day at the the, the the best thing you can do is really just kind of narrow in on it so the nice thing about the track is that you can do very repeated and accurate testing down to about one watt or so but then you have to move out from that find some of the best equipment and then maybe even if you can find you know best equipment that's shaped differently like helmets so you have one helmet that's in completely different shape to another helmet uh, but these two are both pretty good and then i would test both outside and see well which of these two uh, different design works best outside so it kind of narrow it in by going to the real conditions with but of course with more uh, variability in the results. I was fighting every instinct to not jump on the turbulence intensity talk and surface roughness. So I would love <laughs> to go down a rabbit hole, but uh, I think that for the for the listeners, I'll I'll do them a favor and not not go into that discussion. But that is a really interesting point. I was gonna I was gonna mention it too, uh, and I don't know nearly as much as you folks do about this stuff. But it makes a ton of sense when you have you know very calm air in uh, in a you know an enclosed space like a velodrome. It's gonna behave very differently than maybe air that has some turbulence already built into it from from wind, right? And that and the way that that would interact with the the bike plus rider. It would be it could be quite different depending on the yaw conditions and the intensity. So that's a that's a point that I uh, that I was completely unaware of. So thanks for bringing that up. But the question I want to put to and I'll I'll ask Magnus this, um, uh, and then maybe Martin you can jump in. So it sounds like you can you know you can narrow down uh, a really well close to optimal solution let's say uh for a specific race and then maybe you know some things about that race but then when race day comes uh your you know your weather is entirely different right like let's say it's a place that's normally fairly calm and now you've got a windstorm coming in or a rainstorm how do you handle those uh you know potentially unforeseen circumstances when they happen just before you have to race do you modify your setup what do you do uh, I don't think we've. I've only been on the track two times uh, so far, so I don't <laughs> Not think a fair question just yet. <laughs> we haven't uh, tested uh, like all different sorts of uh, wind directions and stuff. So I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't modify my setup at the moment. Uh, Maybe if it rains, then choose some other tires or something like that, but not mm -hmm. uh, in regard to helmet. Well, maybe the visor or something, but like the kit and stuff would be the same. Uh, not uh, considering aerodynamic uh, changes due to different winds yet, <laughs> but hopefully Martin can can help us on that too. Yeah, I would say you know in general also for my I think it's maybe also where it's I have um, since I've, I've I've raced a lot of years, so I kind of have I I know where my Magnus comes from if he suddenly has to do a race in totally different conditions because I'm I'm pretty aware of this also when I test 
does this make mm-hmm. sense? For instance, it doesn't make sense that if you have to uh, you have to uh, fly to Kona with the seven different wheels and uh, seven uh, different exactly. suits and seven <laughs> different, you know. So you kind of have to to figure out at least a base setup that works. You know, it's it might not be the fastest in every single condition, but it's the fastest in a few of them and always one of the fastest. So so that would be my mm-hmm. key to have one. You know. That's very good in all conditions as much as possible. And then I would change maybe something. So, for instance, wheel is is an obvious one. I would probably have at least you know two front wheels. So maybe one that's super fast and maybe not so stable if it uh, if it's quite windy. And then uh, one that's a bit shallower and it's just more capable of of uh, of, of uh, handling in a in, in a crosswind. Uh, so that would be one. And then of course, yeah, he he mentions tires and tires is almost a, a complete topic of its own because they uh-huh, impact yep. everything from rolling resistance to aerodynamics to grip to puncture protection to you know it, it, there's a lot of stuff going on with tires and um we might test some McMagnus, but i guess the good thing at least about those is it's it's they're not too individual so you know the fastest tire for me is likely also the fastest tires for for magnus under the same condition uh, unlike the position or helmet or suit, they're not that individual. So, so I guess the good thing for Magnus is if I find something that's really fast, uh, that's <laughs> probably like ninety-five percent chance that it's also really fast for him, and he can just use that also. Um, but yeah, I think front wheel and then the tires would be the obvious one to change. Um, but I think something like you know bike or suit, you'll probably have to just find something that is pretty good in most condition and stick with that and the same with you know where you place the bottles and stuff like that because come race day you also don't want to have a lot of things going on in your head about uh, which wheel do i ride where do i place my bottle which suit which helmet yeah that's a that's a really good point actually you don't want to do all your calculations the day before the race you kind of have to focus <laughs> on the race at that point <laughs> that is an excellent point like being able to you know to do all of that figuring up front and 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 leave your brain you know a little bit of uh, a little bit of space to actually focus on the task in hand makes sense makes sense so um from this High, you know, high, very high performance minded approach to iterative testing and analysis. Let's uh, let's scale it back to kind of the average triathlete, you know, the average age grouper. And uh, Magnus, I don't know what caliber of athletes are in your club, but I imagine there's probably, you know, very <laughs> yeah, high are, level folks. Many, yeah. many age groupers also. Oh, there so, are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. perfect. So then if we, you know, take a, take a case study from, from your club, uh, if you, if you have somebody who is middle of the pack, you know, fairly average performance, uh, there's still odd, a great deal of opportunity for improvement how would you how would you to approach improving somebody who is uh who's in that category and uh martin maybe start off with you yeah it, it depends a bit on of course how much effort you want to put into it uh, because of course i would say you know depending on of course which bike you're on if you're on a road bike from the 80s there's probably a lot of <laughs> luck to be gained but you know <laughs> Uh, well, let's say it, let's say you're on a, a modern triathlon specific TT bike. Yeah, then then I think for most people, of course, the, the the big things would be the one that we worked on for Magnus now, which would be of course position and uh, the skin suit or the triathlon suit and the helmet. You know, because that's that's sort of the that's the big ones. The problem is, of course, that it's not easy to know 
what is the fastest you kind of have to test so it's not it's not as easy as the wheels where you can maybe say well these two or three wheels are probably one of the best uh hmm. but uh, if you don't want to yeah either you can just you know time yourself on some laps and compare or you really i guess the best bet is kind of if you can find some pro triathletes that you know is, is working with this that's kind of the same build <laughs> then then maybe try and try and copy that because you yeah as, as magnus said you can actually have because he's been in with uh, some of the other uh, triathletes and you know we can run them back to back with the same suit and uh, you know basically same position and it's just for one it's worse and for the other it's better than the, the baseline you know so it's not you can just you can't just say well you need to angle you up uh, 15 degrees and have uh, this stack and this reach it's just it it's just individual but of course if you kind of look uh, if you find something or someone that has approximately the same build as you and they are one of the fast guys, there's probably a decent chance that they also have a, a position that would work for you. Uh, but if you want, want to have it even better than that, you, you kind of have to test yourself uh, in some way. Mm-hmm. One thing that, uh, that Dan brought up when we had him on the show is that um, the, uh, you know, he also talked obviously about the importance of, of suits and positions and helmets, but he talked about how they all affect one another. So for example, you know, if you find a really fast suit for position A, but then you, you decide that position B might actually be a potentially a faster position, your suit may not be the fastest and you may want a different suit for that position. Have you guys found that as well? Yeah, I think we've found it with the helmet at least. Uh, I, I have a I have a suit sponsor at the moment, so it's mostly the helmet we've been testing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I I've seen that. I would say it's not it's not huge swings. Okay. But it's definitely there. But it's not it's not like it's not like you know suddenly your 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 aero helmet that was the best before is suddenly acting like you know uh, an old school open road helmet. <laughs> uh, okay. So I, it's sometimes it's. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the uh, in in the details because I guess both me and Dan are like you know we're looking for the last what <laughs> sure uh, and then of course it's it's super annoying that we find a, a we we're maybe out on the track and we test with maybe the second best helmet we have so that that helmet is like three watts slower than our best helmet let's say that and then we test on a new suit and that is two watts faster and we're like yes. And then we go and test it with our fastest helmet, and then that suit is slower, you know. So the fastest setup is still the old suit and the old fastest helmet. And then, of course, that's that's super annoying, of course. But you're not talking, at least I've not seen, you're not talking like, you know, 10 watts or something like that. We're still talking, you know, a couple of watts. So suddenly one helmet that is the fastest with this suit is suddenly not the fastest with the other. So suddenly you're like two, three, maybe four watts, you know, that, that kind of region. Right. It's not like suddenly your yeah your your very good aero helmet is acting like a parachute, uh, but <laughs> but but things do work together, and I actually think that's one of one of the big things that's been happening in the last five years, maybe ten years, because also as and that's one of the things we worked on with Magnus is also you know the stack was like ten years ago everything was just drop down as low as you can with the stack. Uh, get the lowest frontal area get your head down everything and i think well the head down still uh, <laughs> i think still is good but but all of these new suit technologies kind of uh, makes uh makes position i wouldn't say less important but they work with uh, other position and they can kind of smooth the air out in another way so that actually you can get a 
uh, a higher stack uh, and maybe more comfortable position and actually that will be faster uh, huh. than an old school very slam position simply because the flow around the body is it's it's changed with the with the suit and that's something we've seen with magnus for instance that it's not faster just you know getting him as close to the front wheel as possible um <laughs> So these suit kind of, you know, they kind of clean up the air, so to speak, around the around the rider. So you can actually you can have more leeway in in how you position yourself on the bike without it actually uh, having uh, having a, a big effect on on drag or big drag increase. That is super cool, and that's uh, that's you know anyone who's been paying attention to both UCI time trial and uh, and tri- like pro triathlon, high level triathlon. It's that's a pretty evident effect. You're seeing people way taller than they used to be, you know, five ten years ago, as you say, Martin. Yeah, definitely. I think we've we've like raised me four centimeters from my original oh, wow. setup with only having a wattage penalty of uh, two watts or something. So it was like, and it's just. Considering that I have to run afterwards, it, it's a huge factor. I mean, my back is way much more relaxed than uh, before. And the uh, the metabolic impact too, or at least your efficiency on the bike, is also affected. Yeah. Yeah. So you may be able to output five more watts without having a large impact. Exactly. On your body. Exactly. So yeah. it's and that's when it gets really tough is when you start saying, okay, we've got the fastest aerodynamic solution, but now it's not the fastest in terms of power production. So and yeah. the body is even harder. And then, to then there's another trade-off to be <laughs> to consider. Yeah. Guys, this has been an amazing discussion. I've got just one last question for, for the two of you. Maybe Magnus will kick this one off to you first. Uh, we talked on an episode that we just released, and I am super embarrassed because I bungled it. But it was the uh, the the sub seven hour, sub eight hour Ironman attempt by um, by Brownlee and um, and. Uh, Oh, I'm gonna. I'm doing it again. <laughs> By Christian Blumenfeld and uh, Lucy Charles Barkley and uh, Nicholas Spierig. And in our show, when we first talked about it, which just was released this morning, I said it was Jan Ferdino instead of Brownlee. And I'm gonna have to <laughs> issue a retraction, which is kind of embarrassing. But uh, that, all of that aside, um, what what do you guys think? Like, how how possible is this? How close are we to you know top speed in pro triathlon right now? I mean, as I understood it, then they have the opportunity to swim uh, with current, uh, like ah, for, from okay. from A to B uh, for, on the swim, so they can choose to swim with the current. And then on the bike, they have uh, four pacers or something like that to pace them. So can they draft, think, or are they? Or yeah, are they just I'm not sure if they can draft like uh, entirely on the wheels, but uh, they have like. At least they can <laughs> be in the draft zone. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that changes things so completely. I, I think it, that changes <laughs> it a lot, and it, in yes. my opinion, it it also removes a bit uh, of the beauty of <laughs> considering world records and stuff like that. When you start to modify, like swim from A to B. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, then you can <laughs> swim really, really quick. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. <laughs> I actually, uh, in the preparations, I made a calculation. To say if they swim on 40 minutes and bike with 49 uh, kilometers per hour yeah. and run uh, 340 per kilometer, then they go 658.5 yeah. with some transitions in between. So I think if they do it as I am not 100% sure that's the way, but I've been told so, then it should be possible. But in, in my opinion, it's like 
well then what's the point uh, apart from, apart from raising a lot of money from them uh, <laughs> no and fair point that's that's a reality even when you look at the nike two-hour attempt um what yeah, did that do then, aside from at least there they have to i mean of course there's a benefit when you run 20 uh, more faster than 20 kilometers per hour but mm-hmm. they, that's as i mean when if you draft on someone on the bike it's it impacts it a lot more but it was mostly a media stunt there it was interesting from the human physiology but it was more media where nike had their fancy shoes that were uh that everyone was talking about at the time so but also they then then he ran like 201 right like he ran 201 Mm -hmm. in a a legit race so it's not like he was that far off from exactly and and when you know how frodo beat the like what is it 735 yeah, seven thirty-five. How fast he went there, and then to go sub seven without any help, it would be, in my opinion, it would be impossible. <laughs> so, if you think about the the actual situation that would lead to that, at least that bike course speed. Um, so, if you did a fast bike course in order to follow someone, they would need to be going even faster than you. So, yeah, they would have. To they would switch away. off though, right? Like they <laughs> yeah. would have. They would be like it would be like the Kipchoge situation where he got new <laughs> fresh pacers every I don't know every couple of kilometers or whatever it was. Yeah, it's but it's gonna be fun to watch though. <laughs> oh, I, I will watch that 100. <laughs> yeah, percent Exactly. So that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's good for the sport, I think, even if it's like, I, I don't, yeah, you know, they're yeah. not, they're not talking about, you know, it's not obviously not going to be an official record by any means, but yeah. uh, it'll be, it'll be a fun stunt. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same reason that the Olympics, they want to see records fall. Um, they want mm. to keep the attention there because if there's a record that's broken or sorry, not broken for quite a number of years, then people stop trying as hard. If it's, you know, one exceptional athlete or the rules have changed, similar to what we talked about with the UCI rules changing then it's unattainable and then people just lose interest in it. But I think overall it's good for the sport if there's this competition, if there's this incentive. Yeah, exactly. But then, uh, yeah, it would have been much far more fun if they invited like the, the best triathletes to compete on without those uh, helping <laughs> circumstances. Well, isn't that like the world championship more or less? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gentlemen, this was uh, a really fun discussion and I'm really glad that we, we were able to get everybody in the, you know, the virtual room together for this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having us. And, uh, if, uh, if folks want to follow you, um, where do you spend most of your, you know, your social time, website time? Um, and also do you have anything, is there anything going on that you want to, uh, that you want us to help you promote that we can put in the show notes and tell our listeners about? Well, uh, yeah, for me, I guess I should be more on Instagram. <laughs> I'm planning on, I'm planning on, I can see I have more followers, uh, steadily more followers also after I've been working with Magnus, but, but, uh, yeah, I'm not good at social media, but I get Instagram would be, uh, would be the way I think okay. Martin Tuff 1985 I think that would be my uh, the, the best bet if someone wants to follow me <laughs> yeah I'm also mainly on Instagram great uh, anything that you guys want to plug like any any events or anything that you're that you're up to uh, Magnus are you racing uh, yes I'm actually traveling to the states again very soon to race uh, Challenge Miami oh yes on the yeah. 12th of March so that's another it's almost like riding on a track yeah. <laughs> similar similar uh similar logistics there <laughs> yeah. yeah cool very cool well uh thanks again folks and uh listeners as always thanks to you for uh listening to the show first and foremost and uh for reviewing and uh and rating us 
uh, and the questions that are coming in. It's it's great to hear that uh, the folks are paying attention. We've got uh, a few questions uh, on the episode we did with Bruce, um, and we're going to have him back on to answer some of those questions, which he just agreed to do. Uh, we're also going to have Dr. Amy Bender, the sleep expert that we had a few episodes ago, uh, back for a follow-up because you guys have uh, submitted some excellent questions for her. Uh, and uh, we've got a few other uh, really interesting guests coming up. So I hope you will continue to tune in. Thanks, everyone. Joining Andrew and myself today are two guests that uh, we are very, very excited to talk to, and they are Magnus. Oh, you know what? I'm going to start again because I wanted to ask, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Magnus, is how to pronounce your last name. Uh, Titleo. 